Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Hi, we're, we're all here for once. <laughs> we're all here again. Hello. Uh, <laughs> we've made it back for our, our Gramsci reader, all, all three of us again, finally. It's been a little, uh, been a little choppy waters in uh, getting us all together uh, the last couple of weeks, but we're back to it. Um, when we do resume, uh, and, and my name's David. I'm Shimana too. I got the hiccups. <laughs> it was like the worst time you could have asked. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Prez is here too, hopefully with, with good audio quality, but we'll we'll see how that goes. We're going to do our best with that. Um, and we are continuing our reading of the Gramsci reader. Um, in, we are on page 66 of the PDF. Uh, it's going to be section one of the socialism and Marxism 1917 to 1918 chapter called discipline. And we will pick up that header after we talk about current events and the one um, there's, there's two big ones uh, outstanding, um, you know, and uh, the one that we'll probably start with um, is France. But France is on fire once again, but this time it's mostly over. uh, Was it, the cops murdered him, right? Like it's yeah. the usual story. So it's, I mean, it, like people like to act like, like Europeans like to act like it's only American police that do this, but it's like mm, pretty much cops everywhere have a problem exercising too much authority. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this was in France, it was in the South of France. This is where a lot of, um, you know, North Africans and West Africans, um settled and this was a teenager i think they were 17 um who was uh killed by police in paris um and basically the response has been mass uprisings across uh the south of france uh and then french police uh just you know going full brown shirt and going like well we're not going to listen to the government you know tell us not to just murder protesters we're just gonna fucking do it and so it's dissolving very quickly into a civil war um well didn't like the cops straight up say if you don't authorize us to do shit yeah we're just gonna do it yep that's exactly it so um nahel I believe was the the name of the the teenager killed. Yeah, I have no um, idea how to pronounce it, so I wasn't going to try to save you. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, this was brutal. And I mean, police brutality. This is something that that happens extremely in the United States, but all over the the colonial world, and uprisings in response, much like we had uprisings here um, with the Black Lives Matter, probably peaking in twenty twenty around the George Floyd protests. Uh, you have the same thing happening in France. And again, police repress that pretty brutally, not only because they have license to from the ruling class, but because this is their particular interest in the ruling class to protect themselves, to protect police and lack of accountability. And so they have personal vendettas to want to take it out on the, these protesters and are, are very you know, explicit about it and about disrespect for you know protesters and the lives of protesters and, and things like that. And, um, so they explicitly are going after protesters. So it's a very dangerous situation, a very scary situation that could, it, it's really a crossroads. It's not going to sit there on centrist liberalism for much longer, either direction. Right. And so this can go the way, um, of, you know, and I, I, what people would know as fascism, you know, the traditional, more like violence and, and access power style, European style, um, fascism, um, we talk about in this book that being more of a, a moment of hegemony. Well, that that hegemony is arriving very violently in France, um, unless the uprisings are, of course, successful. Right. In which case it would be a very revolutionary moment. And we're going to have to hold on and see. But it's not like Macron. Macron is the most popular, but he he doesn't really have support from any side here. <laughs> so I, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, but it's it's going to be fiery and violent and quick and and we're going to see what the turnout is and of course all support for uh the immigrants the ethnic minorities and the revolutionaries in france and 
hopefully by now the French Communist Party has figured out, or French Communists in general figured out that their history of supporting communism up until it doesn't support their colonialism is a failing strategy and they can stand by and fight with these protesters and these uprisings. But history has been a little checkered there in France. Uh, the, the French Communist Party already released a statement saying they condemn the violence. Ah, so that, that ship yeah, is Yeah, God damn it. Yeah, that's 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 how they've been for a long, long time. But Ho Chi Minh, you know, he left due to their failures to address the colonial question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, uh, this is, you know, it, it, again, we we on Mark's Madness had um, read um, A Wretch of the Earth uh, by France Fanon. And of course, the Algerian Revolution was not supported by French communists like it should have been, too. So this is this is not a, a short history of of French communists, uh, colonialism and chauvinism failing revolutionaries in the moment. Um, now, those revolutionaries have overcome that in the past, and we will see what happens here. Um, and obviously, we fully support the the uprising. But um, also, Americans shouldn't fetishize it like people are. France, if anywhere, has a lot of uprisings and riots. It's a long history. Um, there's a lot of different, um, you know, urban warfare, urban uprising tactics that have come um, from France and Paris over the years. Um, but that does not mean this is the same character as all that. And so people, you know, remember the yellow vest from a few years ago, which was just a big mixed bag of, of um, you know, workers being against pension scale backs and fascist uprising and just a big amalgamation of, of movements. This is clearly much more revolutionary, but both in that movement and in this movement, uh, mo- moment, um, a lot of American left who see the news uh, have seemed to, to almost fetishize this on social media. And we need to remember not to fetishize this. You know, this is a very dangerous situation and the revolution is not something that we fetishize. It's something that we support and learn from for our own revolution. Um, but obviously full support um, for those rising up against the French police. Other breaking news is or current breaking, event, news. breaking news i don't know my brain is pudding today uh, <laughs> um other current events elliot abrams um of the iran contra fame has uh, been guatemalan genocide fame that's the first day on the job is covering up guatemalan genocide mm-hmm, very first mm-hmm. day on the job and and look where there is turmoil now that America is not very happy with. But yeah, right. it's Guatemala. And a lot of that is honestly the same issues that they were taking advantage of back then, like with an mm-hmm. indigenous uh, land rights. Uh, so it's, it, it's interesting to see these contradictions that went unresolved continue to still be a huge role in uh current day geopolitics i guess i would even say Mm -hmm. Um, this does have worldwide implications it 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 very much does it very much does um and and yeah we shouldn't limit it especially specifically to guatemala although again and and well i'm just saying like the uh oh i forget how to say the name it's x-i-n-k-a jinka or something like that okay Uh, we have a listener from there um (laughs) and they've been uh leading uh like a resistance to this current neo-colonial government and are pretty much set to have a land back struggle um yeah that go ahead i was i'm sorry brings about uh communism in a way brings about communism in a way that um you know we would like to imagine land back would here mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's some stuff we're waiting on actually interview with the uh, folks down there doing it. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's an important revolutionary moment and hopefully we, we can shed some light on that with an interview, but scary proposition to see LAD. And again, this is always bipartisan, right? And Biden, if anything, it really underscores how bipartisan all this shit is because he's the architect of most of the right wing things we deal with. Right. 
Um, he was the architect of student loans that now he's suddenly failing to forgive um, and then pretending his hands are tied because the court said no when he could just fucking push it through anyway. Um, you know, he was the architect of the crime bill. Um, and, you know, he was a major congressional leader during the, the um, 80s and 90s when, you know, the Iran-Contra affair was happening and genocide was happening across Central and South America uh, at the hands of the United States. And um, so <laughs> the coverage now is Biden controversially appoints Trump, former Trump appointee, Elliot Abrams. And it's like, yeah, no, he's he's a genocider and we shouldn't just like, oh, my God, he was with Trump like this is bipartisan shit. You know, he's he's been with three Republican um, um, regimes, I guess, is the only way to I word I'm kind of looking for. Um, you know, he's he's been in powerful positions under uh, Bush senior under Reagan and under Trump and now is being appointed to the advisory commission on public diplomacy under Biden. Um, but he is him, him, um, diplomacy. (laughs) I know know. diplomacy. Yeah. It's, it's like how how all the color revs come out of the, the U S embassy. It's, it's, you know, they're not embassies. They're just, they're, they're more CIA friendly, little secret military base. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's been appointed there and the coverage is like, oh, he used to he used to work under Trump. It's like, no, him and fucking Ali North uh, basically orchestrated the genocide of hundreds of thousands of indigenous people. I think the hardest hit group was Ixil Mayans uh, the first time around. But just yeah, it depends on what we're talking the, about. The right? Yeah, because you, you have them stressing mosquito people like they mm-hmm. basically do like old fashioned colonialism. They get one indigenous group to sit on the front lines and kill these other indigenous people mm-hmm. while they kind of sit back and are like, Oh, you know, we're trying to just trying to help these people. Right. It's like, right. It's, it's kind of what you, you see with the, the strategy of, of uh, using Kurds and only ha- actually picking out the reactionary Kurds across um, West Asia now throughout, you know, Iraq and Syria over the last 15 years. Um, been doing that with indigenous groups for centuries here. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, in, in even under Trump, right. You remember that there was the shutdown highway, the, oh my God, the shutdown highway that was never open between Colombia and Venezuela oh, yeah. that was stopping the aid. And then they like had to admit that the aid trucks were just like the one that, that burned up. That was supposed to be a big country. It was just full of junk. And of course they just filled it with junk and lit it on fire. And the other ones were probably full of weapons. Like it was Venezuela refused the aid. That was being offered by Elliot Abrams, who had always given aid, which was just a bunch of fucking weapons for right wing death squads the whole time before to get shipped into countries. Of course, he turned it down. And there was this big propaganda blitz like he's turning down aid and letting people starve and like all the weird racist like they're eating zoo animal shit was happening. And then there was the fucking oh, yeah, trip. I forgot they said that even. <laughs> yeah. In France, they literally are. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then there was a fucking Turk. Like, that's what Elliot Abrams should be known for. Not just, oh, Trump liked him. Um, but yeah, that's that's, you know, terrifying news and definitely something that we need to keep our, our ears and eyes on um, with regards to Central and South America, because there's already been quashing of kind of the second pink wave. Um, oh, right. In Peru, they sent it. Well, mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. military got sent in. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. all this shit going on with the Mapuche people burning shit down because the communists failed to fucking listen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that was, it was, uh, I'm suddenly for lack of name. Um, what's that? You, it was, it was, uh, my, my brain is funny. I remember some, his symbol was a pencil. He was a teacher. I am totally blanking on who was the, the president of Peru that won in the surprise election. Um, What's that? Can you hear me, Castillo? Yeah. Yeah, Castillo. Oh, Castillo. Oh, all I heard, all I heard was was EO, and I thought you were saying like Theo or something. I was like, what? Yeah, Castillo. No, Pedro Castillo. Castillo. Okay, you had it the whole right. I just couldn't hear your microphone. Yeah, Pedro. Cast- I could not hear you at all. Weird. Uh, Pedro Castillo um, got elected, and then not only um, did not really um, 
keep his promises as <laughs> as he stated and was immediately you know uh, pitted against uh, the working class and and indigenous people down there that got him elected uh, but he was still trying to move left and he kept having like his cabinet appointees blocked and and basically purged out and all of his policies blocked and purged out um, until eventually he tried to use uh, part of the constitution to stop a congress from kicking him out of office on a bunch of bullshit. And it was a valid part of the constitution. And then that was like seen as this great coup in, in Western media. And so people are rising up now and the U S has sent the military in to Peru to quell that, um, you know, you, you've seen, um, Oh, um, I'm trying to think of all the, I, my brain is totally farting on all these examples in South America that we've seen with these big rightward rightward turns after after the pink wave like basically the only survivors so far of it are Ares in bolivia who got reelected after evo had been cooed um and and brought the uh, mas party back in uh maduro's so you have lula came in lula uh, came Columbia in has, uh, and gustavo left. petro yeah in colombia and i think you have and, a bunch uh, of central american places giamina castro um and I think that I think that's it. I think all the other ones have been really pushed out. I mean, there's been massive, you know, U.S. involvement um, in Central and South America. Very, very much violent Monroe Doctrine continuation happening, and it's clearly signaled that that is a high priority now uh, with Elliot Abrams being appointed. So that this is no small news. Well, I mean, even Venezuela's. Uh, well, first off, you know. Uh, Turn on the communists. Yeah, that's so great. Uh, Freaking, you know, they're selling oil to Biden, starting to uh, reduce sanctions. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think Venezuela has been trying to find a little more of a compromise position. Um, you know, kind of like like the the turn Yugoslavia had. had uh, made in the the um, late forties and early fifties, well, but he's coming from what social democracy already. I, I honestly think that's what Lula is kind of signaling because Lula's already helped the West many times. Mm-hmm, yeah, and Haiti and and other places. So I want to put it past him to be kind of pushing uh, mm-hmm. like people more towards compromising positions instead of. Um, radical ones yeah and 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 we don't want that obviously we want the radical positions but people people have to survive and there's a lot um a lot of factors that go into these uh revolutions and revolutionary movements and and we have to lend our support and we have to be you know it's critical support and we have to be critical and and not let that down where that is important but we also have to remember that we're you know we're armchairing from the belly of the beast (laughs) When, if we don't like U.S. involvement, we, we should be, it. yeah, we should be ending <laughs> that here. Um, uh, but that would again, be the greatest help to those people if we ended this place. Yes, if there was nowhere that would be appointing Elliot Abrams and nowhere that would be running guns down there, if we just got rid of the whole fucking system. <laughs> so uh, a dream. And with that. We will get into the reading. Oh, actually, I was going to say, you know, just because it's such an important fundraising event. Oh, yes. uh, Check out the show notes right now. And, uh, you know, maybe go read about our GoFundMe where we're raising money to um, feed people at Sundance for five days. um, uh, Like gas money for like gathering things like wood and kind of hard to explain everything that you end up needing to gather um but it's all for sundance a lot of it uh, and then uh we're going before and after to do other projects such as like planting perennial food stuffs so that way um people don't need to rely on going two hours away to rapid city or an hour and a half to freaking gordon nebraska you know, like that, that shouldn't be your only options, in my opinion. Anyway, yeah, now we can continue. <laughs> um, so the reading starts part one, 
discipline. In one of the stories in The Jungle Book, Rudyard Kipling shows discipline at work in a strong bourgeois society. Everyone obeys in the bourgeoisie state. The mules in the battery obey the battery sergeant. The horses obey the soldiers who ride them. The soldiers obey the lieutenant. The lieutenants obey the regiment colonels. The regiments obey a brigadier general. The the brigades obey the viceroy of the Indias. The viceroy obeys Queen Victoria, still alive when Kipling was writing. The queen gives an order. The viceroy, the brigadier generals, the colonels, lieutenants, the soldiers, the animals, all move in unison and go off to the conquest. The protagonist of the story says to a native who is watching a parade, because you cannot do likewise, you are our subjects. Bourgeoisie discipline is the only force which keeps the bourgeoisie aggregation firmly together. Discipline must be met with discipline, but whereas bourgeois discipline is mechanical and authoritarian, socialist discipline is autonomous and spontaneous. If you accept socialist discipline, it means you are a socialist or you want to be so more fully, joining the youth movement if you are young. And whoever is a socialist or wants to become one does not obey. He commands himself. He imposes a rule of life on his impulses, on his disorderly aspirations. It would be strange if, while one too often obeys without a murmur, a discipline that one does not understand and does not feel, we were not able to act accordingly to a course of conduct that we ourselves have helped prescribe and keep rigidly consistent. For this is what an autonomous discipline is like, the very life, the very thought of the person who observes them. The discipline imposes on citizens by the bourgeois state makes them into subjects, people who delude themselves that they exert an influence on the course of events. The discipline of the Socialist Party makes the subject into a citizen, a citizen who is now rebellious, precisely because he has become conscious of his personality and feels it is shackled and cannot freely express itself in in the world. And that is from La Cita Futura. Um, I guess CF is from Cita. Future City. Okay. From Future City in, in 1917. Well- that's a book. That's a book. Future City. Or. Prez. Yes. Oh, no, it's just, it's like another magazine. Oh, okay. Uh, I had a thing pop up from work. I just got to read real quick. And when you guys uh, take the reading at part two. Yeah. The revolution against capital. The Bolshevik Revolution is now definitively part of the general revolution of the Russian people. The Maximalists, i.e. the Bolsheviks, up until two months ago were the active agents needed to ensure that events should not stagnate, that the drive to the future should not come to a halt and allow, excuse me, should not come to a halt and allow a final settlement, a bourgeois settlement to be reached. Now these maximalists have seized power and established their dictatorship and are, and are creating the socialist framework within which the revolution will have to settle down if it is to continue to develop harmoniously without head-on confrontations on the basis of the immense gains which have already been made. The Bolshevik revolution consists of more of ideologies than events. And hence, at the bottom, we do not really need to know more than we do. This is the revolution against Karl Marx's capital. In Russia, Marx's capital was more the book of the bourgeoisie than of the proletariat. It stood as the crucial demonstration of how events should allow a predetermined course, how in Russia, a bourgeoisie had to develop and a capitalist era had to open with the setting up of a Western-type civilization before the proletariat could even think in terms of its own revolt, its own class demands, its own revolution. But events have overcome ideologies. Events have have exploded the critical schemas determining how the history of Russia would unfold according to the canons of historical materialism. The Bolsheviks according to the canons of historical materialism. Oh, I messed that up. 
<laughs> Events have exploded the critical schemas determining how the history of Russia would unfold according to the canons of historical materialism. The Bolsheviks reject Karl Marx, and their explicit actions and conquests bear witness that the canons of historical materialism are not so rigid as one might have thought and has been believed. And yet there is a fatality... Yeah, and yet there is a fatality even in these events, and if the Bolsheviks reject some of the statements in Capital, they do not reject its invigorating, imminent thought. These people are not quote-unquote Marxists, that is all. They have not used the works of the master to compile a rigid doctrine of dogmatic utterances never to be questioned. They live Marxist thought. That thought, which is eternal, which represents the continuation of German and Italian idealism, and which in the case of Marx was contaminated by positivist and naturalist incrustations. This thought sees as the do, do, this thought sees as the dominant factor in history, not raw economic facts, but man, men in societies, men in relation to one another, reaching agreements with one another developing through these contacts civilization developing through these contacts i.e. civilization a collective social will men coming to understand economic facts judging them and adapting them to their will ultimate until this becomes the driving force of the economy and molds objective reality which lives and moves and comes to resemble a current volcanic lava that can be channeled wherever and in whatever way the will determines. Marx foresaw the foreseeable, but he could not foresee the European war, or rather he could not foresee that the war would last as long as it has or have the effects it has had. He could not foresee that in the space of three years of unspeakable suffering and miseries, this war would have aroused in Russia the collective popular will that it has aroused. In normal times, a lengthy process of gradual diffusion through society is needed for such collective will to form. A wide range of class experience is needed. Men are lazy. They need to be organized. First externally into corporations and leagues, then internally within their thought and their will and ceaseless continuity and multiplicity of external stimuli. Here, he's using kind of the old definition of corporation where it has different meanings of just an amalgamation of people. I'm pretty sure that Gramsci was telling us to be social entrepreneurs. (laughs) Well, that's the implication here. This is why, under normal conditions, the canons of Marxist historical criticism grasp reality, capture and clarify it. Under normal conditions, the two classes of the capitalist world create history through an ever more intensified class struggle. The proletariat is sharply aware of its poverty and its ever-present discomfort and it's ever present discomfort and puts pressure on the bourgeoisie to improve its living standards. It enters into struggle and forces the bourgeoisie to improve the techniques of production and make it more adapted to meeting the urgent needs of the proletariat. The result is a headlong drive for improvement and acceleration of the rhythm of production and a continually increasing output of goods useful to society. And in this drive, many fall by the wayside, so making the needs of those who are left more urgent. The masses are forever in a state of turmoil, and out of this chaos, they develop some order in their thoughts and become ever more conscious of their own potential, of their own capacity to to shoulder social responsibility, and become the arbiters of their own destiny. This is what happens under normal conditions. When events are repeated, when events are repeated with certain regularity, when history develops through stages which, though never, though ever more complex and richer in significance and value, are nevertheless similar. But in Russia, the war galvanized the people's will. As a result of the sufferings accumulated over three years, their will became as one almost overnight. 
Famine was imminent, and hunger, death from hunger, could claim anyone, could, could crush tens of millions of men at one, at one stroke. Mechanically at first, then actively and consciously after the first revolution, the people's will became as one. Socialist propaganda put the Russian people in contact with the experience of other proletariats. Socialist propaganda could bring the history of the proletariat dramatically to life in a moment. Its struggles against capitalism, the lengthy series of efforts required to emancipate it completely from the, trains, from the chains of servility that made it's so abject, and to allow it to forge a new consciousness and become a testimony today to a world yet to come. It was socialist propaganda that forged the will of the Russian people. Why should they wait for the history of England to be repeated in Russia, for the bourgeoisie to arise, for the class struggle to begin, so that class consciousness may be formed and the final catastrophe of the capitalist world eventually hit them? The Russian people, or at least a minority of the Russian people, has already passed through these experiences in thought. It has gone beyond them. It will make use of them now to assert itself just as it will make use of Western capitalist experience to bring itself rapidly to the same level of production of the Western world. In capitalist terms, North America is more advanced than England, because the Anglo-Saxons in North America took off at once from the level England had reached only after long evolution. Now the Russian proletariat, socialistically educated, will begin its history at the highest level England has reached today. Since it has to start from scratch, it will start from what has been perfected elsewhere, and hence will be driven to achieve... <laughs> will be driven to achieve that level of economic maturity, which Marx considered to be a necessary condition for collectivism. The revolutionaries themselves will create the conditions needed for the complete and full achievement of their goal, and they will create them faster than capitalism could, could have done. The criticisms that socialists have made of the criticism that socialists have made of the bourgeois system to emphasize its imperfections and its squandering of wealth, can now be applied by revolutionaries to do better, to avoid the squandering, and not fall prey to the imperfections. It will at first be a collectivism of poverty and suffering, but a bourgeois regime would have inherited the same conditions of poverty and suffering. Capitalism could do no more immediately than collectivism in Russia. In fact, today it would do a lot less since it would be faced immediately by a discontented and turbulent proletariat, a proletariat no longer able to support on behalf of others the suffering and privation that economic dislocation would bring in its wake. Even so, in absolute human terms, socialism can now be... So, socialism now can be justified in Russia. The hardest that the hardships that await them after the peace will only be bearable if the proletarians feel they have things under their own control and know that by, by their efforts they can reduce those hardships in the shortest possible time. One has the impression that the maximalists at this moment are the spontaneous expression of a biological necessity, that they had the power to take if Russia, if the Russian people were not to fall prey to a horrible calamity. If the Russian people throwing themselves into colossal labors needed for their own regeneration were to feel less sharply the fangs of the starving wolf. If Russia were not to be strewn with, with the corpses of savage beasts that had torn each other into pieces. Signed, A.G. Avanti. December 24th, 1917. And AG is like, what's that mean? It's Antonio Gramsci. Oh my god, I'm so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> this is better than PN for prison notebooks. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess before before I feel done with acronyms that SPWI is Socialist Party of Workers in Italy. Yeah. Cool. Something. Yay. Like that. Something like that. Something along those lines. Uh, 
Um, the next essay is our marks. I guess it's my turn to read, huh? It it, it is your turn to read. Do we want to simmer? I mean, we can pretty well figure out that there was a lot of that, 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 you know, some of it Gramsci didn't get right because you couldn't see it coming, but there was a lot of that that Gramsci did where Russia did develop extremely quickly and use uh, capitalism in other Western countries as a model of, of what would happen and what could happen um, in their revolution. Um, but I don't know how much we want to just do on that or just, you know, let the reading do the talking. I don't know. So like, I, I used to be of the opinion that everybody knew this stuff. And ever since the Pat socials came into being. I'm like, <laughs> right. Which is kind of why it's like, that seems obvious to me. But like, <laughs> is that obvious to, to, to you know, the, the listeners? Because some listeners have only joined us, you know, for this reading. Some listeners have only joined us the last couple of books. And we just want to make, you know, we have this out there to make sure that the listeners are getting what they need from this. So do we need to sit on that or are we ready to move on? I just want to say, I think it's important that we accurately gauge where the quote unquote people are mm-hmm. and not assume that they are on the same level as, as us in any way. Because uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be part of the people. They'd be yeah, part of the small minority. Well, and and listeners are always going to be an idiot. And listeners and the people who listen to the listeners, because what you've heard last, even if you're educated, is what sticks in your head. And listeners and the and the people who listen to listeners are going to have you know uh, idiosyncratic um, you know heterogeneous like amounts of of education and understanding on this stuff. So, you know, some of the listeners may know as much or more than us on a certain subject and then some may know less. And I just want to make sure that we're, we're touching on everything we need to touch on. Cause that's one seems thing pretty right, but I don't really know what to say. One thing I really enjoy is uh, in capitalist terms, North America is more advanced than England because the Anglo-Saxons in North America took off at once from the level England had reached only after long evolution. Which, um, you know, correctly addresses that they had a bourgeois revolution by the time the U.S. came about. And the U.S. was is starting pretty much at the development of capitalism. It's pretty much only known capitalism. Like where you play, a lot of people place capitalism at the 1800s. That's so like whatever you place it at, you can see that the U.S. forms and is pretty much just building up those relations. Is yeah. there a debate that England didn't have a bourgeois? Oh yeah, there fucking is, Prez. Really? <laughs> oh, there, there's also a lot of people that that think uh, the Industrial Revolution was the 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 start of capitalism rather than like a major stage right. in capitalist development. Like agrarian capitalism is a thing. You know, whole civil war was because the North was industrialized and the South mm-hmm. was still on agrarian capitalism that motivated them that along with the, the unique history of the African slave trade, especially uh, the, the grotesque breeding practices, um, you know, left the South motivated to, to you mean the Palo Alto program, the Palo Alto program. That's where those ideas come from is Palo Alto. Isn't that oh. crazy? Yeah. A lot of people. So there's this wonderful book called Palo Alto capitalism, and the history mm-hmm. of the world something like that. And uh, basically it goes over how capitalism's perfected in America. You know, it starts elsewhere, but it's perfected here to the extent we know it today. I mean, I think the important thing that we're going to see and that again, Palancis talks about more is that there are multiple, every historical stage. So capitalism, feudalism, whatever holds a pit, holds a bit of the previous stage. So there are elements of feudalism and capitalism. There are also elements of slavery and capitalism. Mm -hmm. That's why we have slave labor still in capitalism. Well, right. And we saw elements of feudalism in capitalist society here in America as it was developing with like Lord Durham's war and stuff like that. Well, and and and, uh, the whole civil war it can be, I guess, best understood as a comp- as a fight between different factions, whether or not you're going to be doing standard bourgeois international finance capital, or whether you're going to stick to the agrarian feudalism that is or was the southern plantation states, because that wasn't capital. That was mostly 
feudal, semi-feudal relations. Yeah. And it's also, it's also good to, well, there, there's an extent where you can call that, you know, cause the, the slavery and the, the slave seen as property is as human capital as well, which is why I, I mentioned agrarian capitalism, but, uh, but also, you know, that, that lends to what we talked about before with Gramsci, where, you know, these, these stages of, of class solidarity, like class is not everybody in the bourgeoisie wakes up and goes, we're on the same side. You know, they have, and we see this today still, you know, they, they partisan slap fights and all that shit. They have all kinds of different dynamic interests and it's that their interests by and large line up for exploitation against the rest of us. And our different dynamics line up for not being exploited by them, uh, but they will have spats within their class and those can break down into wars and things like that. And we can allow our class to be divided for different um, interests. And that's what holds things like white supremacy and misogyny and all of those other systems. Um. But yeah, that's. I, I just wanted to, to make sure we said on that before we move on. So if if we're if we're good on that, I think uh, Shikmani too, you can start on our marks. I, I just gotta say, it's about to get really spicy in here, and I love it. Ready? <clears throat> our marks. Are we Marxists? Do Marxists exist? Stupidity. Thou alone art immortal. That's going to be my new favorite quote. <laughs> the question will probably be taken up again over the next few days, the period around Mark's centenary. Uh, that's tenure? Centenary? What's that? A hundred? Is that a hundred? Century. Yeah, sorry. The deck is ten. Well, but this is 1918. Would that be... Was Mark's born in 1818? Would that be his, his 100th birthday? Sure. Because it's not 100 years since his writings. In yeah, I'm, guess, I'm guessing that's what they mean. I don't know. I don't care. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, no Marx's birthday. Let me look it up. I can't remember. And will bring forth rivers of ink and idiocy. Wild mumblings and stylistic affectation are the incor- cor- un- incorruptible heritage of man. Marx did not write a nice little doctrine. He is not a messiah who left a string of parables laden with categorical imperatives, with absolute unquestionable norms beyond the categories of time and space. The only categorical imperative, the only norm, workers of the world unite. The duty of organizing, the propagation of the duty, to organize and associate should therefore be what distinguishes Marxists from non-Marxists. Too little and too much who in this case would... Wait, too little and too much who in this case would not be a Marxist. Um, and, and not to get you off there, because we should almost repeat that the duty of organizing and the propagation of the duty of organize and associate should be what distinguishes Marxists from non-Marxists is that I'm surprised yeah. that's not your favorite sentence. Well, uh, it, it was, but I already said that, so I couldn't say it again because then uh, I look <laughs> stupid because I gave it away already. But then you'd be fanboy in the whole paragraph. Explain. Yeah, um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, I do. Um, I I did want to say. So obviously, you know, May fifth is is Marx's birthday, and that's part of the conglomerate reasons, mostly centered around um, the Haymarket affair for May Day. You know, being celebrated um, on May first uh, because of all the early May socialist events. But um, but it was eighteen eighteen. So that is what. Send uh, what was the word centenary? Must have been Marx's hundredth birthday. And yet, that is how it is. Everyone is a bit of a Marxist without being aware of it, which this is sort of what the Pat Socha's harp on and like recognize. But uh, let's continue reading and see why. Well, actually, we don't need to continue reading. We can see why we need to like say the difference between a Marxist and a Marxist. Somebody's actually organizing. (laughs) But anyway. Marx was great. His action was fecund. 
What is that word? Pres. Fecunda is just like you're very good at produce. You're very capable at producing things. Okay, his action was fecund, not because he invented from nothing, but because he extracted an original vision of history from his imagination. But because in him, oh, not because he extracted an original vision of history from his imagination, but because in him, the fragmentary, the incomplete, the immature became maturity, system awareness. His personal awareness can become everyone's. It has already become that of many people. Because of this, Marx is not just a scholar. He is a man of action. He is great and fecund in action, as in thought. His books have transformed the world just as they have transformed thought. So, because of that, the, the wording that paragraph might be a little confusing. So, yeah. <laughs> basically what it's saying is that Marxism is is derivative, um, now that I know the, the meaning of fecund, because I didn't know that either, thanks, Brez. Uh, but Marxism right. is is derivative it, it reproduces its itself right i mean like a, like a um a, a plant produces seeds produces a plant produces seeds marxism produces marxist produces marxism produces marxist ongoing and the reason that is true is not because marx just made something up esoterically it's because he looked at the world and was able to galvanize the thought into something coherent and basically like you know all those times when we're like oh my boss treated me like shit i'm hungry you know this this government's corrupt i don't you know i i don't get paid enough he he put those all together in a, in a cohesive thought that helped people understand and radicalize around you know he gave us dialectical materialism and historical materialism and those tools that we were able then to carry on with Marxist thought and build revolutions. Yeah. I was taking a fat drink of water. So back to it, because Marx signifies the entry of intelligence into the history of humanity, the reign of awareness, which is the argument here kind of like Marx is the real age of enlightenment? You know, I don't know. Anyway, he's, he's everybody's been, been bumping stuff in the room on their own. And he's the one that just turned the light on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so his work falls in exactly the same period as the great battle between Thomas Carlyle and Herbert Spencer on the role of man in history. Carlyle, the hero, the great individual, the mystical synthesis of spiritual communion, leads the destinies of humanity towards an unknown, evanescent goal. Sorry, I just think of evanescence. Wake up! <laughs> anyway, uh, in the uh, chimerical land of perfection and saint- saintliness, Jesus Fuck, that is so flourishy. <laughs> Chimerical. Anyway, Spencer, nature, evolution, mechanical and inanimate abstraction. Man, atom of natural organisms. Fuck, okay, sure. One which obeys a law that is abstract as such, but which becomes historically concrete in individuals' immediate utility. This is like him doing a breakdown of these people, right? And not just having a stroke. Yes. Okay. So, this was the intrinsic defect of histories, of research into human events. You you skipped a paragraph. What? Marx. Oh, Marx shit. Yeah, himself. I did. I fucking skipped the whole fucking. <laughs> Marx plants himself squarely in history with the solid bearing of a giant. He is neither a mystic nor a positive metaphysician. He is a historian. He is an interpreter of the documents of the past, of all the documents, not just a part of them. This was the intrinsic defect of histories of research into human events, to have examined and taken into account only a part of the documents. And this part was selected not by the historical will, but by partisan prejudice even if it was unconscious and in good faith. 
What this research aimed at was not truth, precision, the integral recreation of the life of the past, but the highlighting of a particular activity, the bearing out of a prior hypothesis. History was a domain solely of ideas. Man was considered a spirit as pure consciousness. Two erroneous consequences derived from this conception. The ideas that were borne out were often merely arbitrary and fictitious, and the facts that were given importance were anecdote, not history. If history was written in the real sense of the word, it was due to the brilliant intuition of single individuals, not to a systemic and conscious scientific activity. With Marx, history continues to be the domain of ideas, of spirit, and of conscious activity of single or associated individuals. But ideas, spirit, take on substance, lose their arbitrariness. They are no longer fictitious, religious, or sociological abstractions. Their substance is in the economy, in practical activity, in the systems and relations of production and exchange. History as that which happens in pure practical parentheses, economic and moral and parentheses activity, uh, and an idea becomes real, not because it is logically in conformity with pure truth, pure humanity, parentheses, which exists only as a plan, as a general ethical goal of mankind, and parentheses, but because it finds in economic reality its justification the instrument with which it can be carried out in order to know the precision what the to know with precision what the historical ends of a country a society a social grouping are one must know first of all what systems and relations of production and exchange obtain in the country exchange attain, obtain in that country that society Without this knowledge, one will be able to write partial monographs, dissertations, which are useful for the history for, for the history of culture. One will pick up secondary reflections, distant consequences, but one will not be doing history. Practical activity will not be disclosed in all its solid compactness. Interesting. So basically, like he's pointing out the flaws and like focusing on one era, right, of history rather than trying to understand it in its entirety. Yeah. Yeah. Can't pick up the Sardinian and place him in our time, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, right. That's literally. Or in this case, this this German. Right. <laughs> Idols crumble from their altar. Divinities see the clouds of perfumed incense disperse. Man acquires awareness of objective reality. He masters the secret which lies behind the real unfolding of events. Man knows himself. He knows how much his individual will can be worth and how it can be made more powerful in that by obeying, by disciplining itself to necessity, it finally dominates him dominates necessity itself identifying it with its own ends there we go who knows himself not man in general but he who undergoes the yoke of necessity the search for the substance of history the identification of that substance in the system and the relations of society Wait, in the relations of production and exchange leads one to discover how human society is split into two classes. The class which owns the instruments of production already necessarily knows itself. It has a consciousness, albeit confused and fragmentary, of its power and its mission. It has individual ends and it attains them through its capacity to organize coldly, objectively, without worrying whether its road is paved with bodies reduced by hunger or corpses on the battlefield. The organizing of real historical casualties takes on the value of the revelation for the other class. It becomes an ordering principle of the huge flock without a shepherd. The flock acquires awareness of itself as a class. Wait. No, itself of the task which it must now carry out in order to assert itself as a class becomes conscious and 
becomes conscious that its individual ends will remain purely arbitrary, pure words, empty and inflated wishes until it possesses the tools and until these wishes have become will. Voluntarism. The word is meaningless. Or it is used with the meaning of arbitrary will. Will, in a Marxist sense, means awareness of ends, which in turns in turn means exact knowledge of one's own power and the means to express it in action. It therefore means, in the first place, that the class become distinct. Okay, that the class become distinct and individuated, compactly organized and disciplined to its own specific ends, without wavering or being deflected. It means an impulse acting in a straight line towards the maximum destinations without jaunts into the green meadows on the wayside to drink a glass of cordial fraternity softened by the greenery and by tender declarations of respect and love. But the phrase, in a Marxist sense, is pointless. It can give rise to equivocations and fatuous showerings of words. Marxists, in a Marxist sense, the terms are worn like coins that have passed through too many hands. Karl Marx is for us a master of a spiritual and moral life, not a shepherd wielding a crook is the stimulator of mental laziness, the arouser of good energies, which slumber and which must wake up for the good fight. He is an example of intense, tenacious work to attain the clear honesty of ideas, the solid culture necessary, Jesus, in order to not talk in a void about abstractions. He is a monolithic block of knowing and thinking humanity who does not look at his tongue in order to speak, who does not put his hand on his heart in order to feel, who, but who constructs iron syllogisms which encircle reality in its essence and dominate it, which penetrate people's minds, which bring the sedimentations of prejudice and fixed ideas crumbling down and strengthen the moral character. Karl Marx is not for us the infant whimpering in the cradle or the bearded man who frightens priests. He is none of the anecdotal episodes of his biography, nor brilliant or gotch gestures of his outward human animality. He is a broad and serene thinking brain. He is an individual moment in the anxious search that humanity has been conducting for centuries to acquire consciousness of its being and its becoming to grasp the mysterious rhythm of history and disperse the mystery, to be stronger in its thinking and to act better. He is a necessary integral part of our spirit, which would not be what it is if he had not lived, had not thought, had not sent sparks of light flying from the collisions with his passions and his ideas, his sufferings and his ideals. In glorifying Karl Marx on the centenary of his birth, shut up and let the book read, David. The international proletariat is glorifying itself. Its conscious strength, the dynamism of its aggressiveness of conquest, which undermines the rule of privilege and prepares for the final struggle, which will crown all its efforts and all of its sacrifices. Antonio Gramsci, El Grido del Popolo, 4th of May, 1918. So the day before Karl Marx's 100th birthday, if we were shut up, let the book read. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> well, by the time it got to everyone, it's going to be the next day. It is yeah, going to be yeah. the next day. <laughs> That's how it worked. Um. No, I obviously we're wrapping up there just from time, but that's a really good spot to wrap up. I, I really like how Gramsci, and again, you can tell being in Italy in the dominance of the Catholic church where um, he used the allusion to a shepherd and Marx not yielding a crook um, because that's again, a very Christian, you know, Jesus is the, the shepherd and guides us and people quoting Marx being, you know, him seeing parallels with people doing that and, and quoting, you know, like biblical um, readings to their ends is is very obvious. Um, this is, you know, an emphasis that Marx is someone who 
provided us a science for our own revolution. And we need to study that science, not, you know, quote him as a God or a religious or cult leader or something like that. You know, um, it's not like, it's not like if you learn biology um, in like, say, you know, third grade and we discover something that makes it wrong. You go, no, 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 no. It must be right. Cause I learned like that in third grade. It's, we were given the tools to understand, you know, these things with more knowledge, right? We have to take in the, this greater information and, and learn it better and, and learn it in a way that, that applies more and is more accurate. And that doesn't mean we should shutter the science, but we can't claim that science and then turn it away when it goes against our preconceived notions and abuse it for our own ends. Ken Ham said otherwise. And, uh, you know, dinosaurs were alive 4,000 years ago and Jesus wrote a T-Rex. So that's, that's what he shepherded with. It wasn't with a crook. It was with a T-Rex. He scared the sheep back in the Yeah. Time. Yeah. They didn't uh, listen. He ate them. So I, 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 yeah, fucking, this is great stuff. I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed this piece just because you can see a lot of parallels to today where a lot of people's arguments to being like turfs are like Stalin criminalized homosexuality. And it's just like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting because um, you would think a lot of these things would have already been satisfied, you know, with the dogmatism and stuff like that. Um, yeah. the, the book worship, if you will, that uh, Mao wrote an entire piece about combating. Um, it's just, it's crazy that we have another piece that's like, hey, stop worshiping this guy like he's Jesus. And we still have people. He, he gave you tools. Go build something with them. Don't pretend he's Jesus. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna become Jesus, like with the carpent, like a carpenter. You know, basically, you think about it. Karl Marx was the carpenter, and he taught me how to use the tool. He's Jesus. God damn it! I'm gonna oh. turn around backwards on this steel chair now. Yeah, and tell yeah. you kids how cool the Holy Spirit is. <laughs> oh God damn it! Um, but no, I, I'm glad you brought up that that Stalin example because that is something you know um, with like LGBTQ um, two plus rights, and and of course you know the the inherent colonialism and and um, repression tied in with them. Uh, that's something you see going both directions, right? People will either use it rhetorically as a bludgeon. Like you have to reject all, you know, communism or, or Marxism, Marxism, Leninism, or don't ever defend existing socialism because, you know, it, it had uh, homophobic, you know, wrongdoings in its past. And they, they were very hurtful. And instead of rejecting the, those things that were done, um, cause like, making you know homosexuality illegal making abortion illegal that's that's not excusable right uh, but you're supposed to you know reject uh communism or 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 defending stalin defending the ussr whole cloth because of that or people like you were saying go the other direction and they go full book book worship and they quote it and you know then they start using terms that are obviously fascist like degenerate um to forward homophobia and fascism and of course these are the same people that oppose land back and up carry uh, uh, uphold you know anti-vax narratives and and things like that it's like these are just pure on reactionary these are just new strasserites um and they're trying to make you book worship and we can't falter for that either direction we have to use what was given to us by this history and by this breakdown and understanding of history in order to make our own history um, and that includes defending honest history, and that includes defending the ideologies that are just um, through their rights and their wrongs, not papering over the wrongs or forwarding the wrongs or rejecting the ideology and, and the existing systems whole cloth because there were wrongs in the past. So, but that's that. Is that everything? 
Uh, that's everything except you know plugs and Pre- stuff. Well, Prez, did you want to? Oh, sorry, did you want to say anything? No, I got nothing for this one. Yeah, you seem pretty quiet. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, we'll be picking up on technically page seventy-one in the reader, but page forty. So you do with that as you will. It's called class and intransigence. Is that right? What does that word mean? Intransigence? Yeah. It's just like aimlessness, if I remember right. Ah, okay. Cool. So, and Italian history. Class intransigence and Italian history. Interesting. Uh, That's what we'll be picking up. Uh, if you like oh, what you heard, un- unwilling or refusing to change one's views or to agree about something. So, oh. like stubbornness, like extreme stubbornness, maybe then. Intellectual huh? stubbornness, I guess. Intellectual stubbornness. Like it. So, we are Mark's Madness. We read books. Uh, we're trying to read more books and we're trying to get people microphones so they can read books with us for you as well. Um, that being said, if you want to help with that, there's a Patreon to do that. But remember at the beginning of the show, I mentioned a GoFundMe. That is in the show notes. And I am telling you right now, go click on it. I'm telling you to do this. That's, I'm so, um, wow. Normally I ask, but now it's a tell. Uh, and just give like a dollar or something. I don't know. We're just almost there. Like we're. We'll keep it going and get it done. Um, so I have nothing to worry about. Anyway. Uh, what else do I normally say? There's uh, emails if you want to complain. Marksbandness at gmail.com or uh, band, well, bands of Turtle Island at gmail.com is my personal. Or you can contact the shows, which is chunkaluta1973 at gmail.com. And then there's also the Twitters, which is at chunkaluta1973 and then at marksbandnesspod. Oh, and then um, if you want to yell at somebody, I recommend Prez, who only lurks on Twitter, which is Mark C. Marks, too. Anything else? Am I forgetting something? Uh, no, that's it. If, if, if wow, I did a good once. <laughs> that will never happen that well again. <laughs> uh, this has been Mark's Badness Pod, now part of Chunkaluta. We read books. My name is David. I, I'm I'm Shimani too, and I steal people's catchphrases because I listen to them for years. And I'm Prez. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Tocha. Bye. You're supposed to say ciao because it's Italian. (laughs)